So Lord Jesus, I want to ask that as we talk about something so close to your heart, as we talk about probably while you were with us, the most important thing that you addressed was our love one for another, our devotion one to another, our encouragement one to another, our lives one to another. I know that this is so close to your heart, Jesus. Would you come and meet us in a powerful way today? Holy Spirit, you inspired the scripture. Make it come alive again to us today. In your wonderful name, amen. I like to think of myself as somebody who, my wife would phrase it, is argumentative. (laughs) So that means generally, whenever somebody says something, in order to believe it first, I need to first kind of understand its objections. And so I want to do that just briefly, I want to talk about why this is something that has to be preached on and it's not just the given. We don't just live community and I want to tell you why we don't just live community. Why does it not come to us naturally? And then I, I, I want to show us a bit of how Jesus did it because Jesus called the disciples into com- immediately. The call was to follow him and become like him and that meant you were going to live with others. Because without others, you will never walk into what Jesus has for you. Will used to say, alone I go fast, together we go far. You can do things on your own, but you won't go for long. And my wife might share something and make us all cry at some point. I'm just saying, just about for Dan and Sam, even in our journey of leading churches to coming down to leading a church to being stepped down to to feel like my life was ripped away and realizing I, I, I gave up on it for me I was like I'm out I don't want anything to do with this it's painful because it, it is painful to be a part of community because it requires a genuine love it requires a genuine giving of yourself and if it doesn't hurt if you lose that then you didn't do it right properly And so one of the the pillars of our society, of the world that we live in, one of the pillars that are being built, one of the things that are being championed and fought for is individualism and autonomy. You are your own. What you think is truth. You are your own island. Don't let anybody impact your truth. Don't let outside influence you. What you have is beautiful and special and everything around you must complement you and if not, exclude yourself and That is the pillar of the Western society that we're living in that is being built. And that is in our marketing, that is in your social media feeds, that is in your your screen, which is in your face every single day, which is the average millennial, just 88, 88, I was the last of the millennials, and the next generations Average millennial, you're going to look at this thing two and a half thousand times a day. Two and a half thousand times a day, this is going to have your attention. It shapes you. Not my notes. (laughs) Do a scary exercise on your own. Go into your phone. Look at usage. See how much time a day this thing has your face shapes you and so the world that we lived in is 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 literally built on individual and it didn't start now it didn't start with the, the iphone 
It started way back in the days of colonization. And there was, a, there was a time when Benjamin Franklin, he wrote a letter to his friend. And what he observed was in Native America, what they would find is that if they captured a Native American and brought him into their Western colonial mindset and way of thinking and education and jobs and economy, and when they brought somebody in, no matter how hard they tried, that person would do everything they could to escape from it and get back into tribal lifestyle. But when the Native Americans captured colonialists, and they would take them, and they would bring them into their tribes, and they would show them their way of living, and they would include them in their, it's called a strong group culture, where the value of the group supersedes the value of the individual, what they would find was people would abandon the colonies and move back, even when they were set free. They would come in and wipe out the Native Americans and, and set the captives free. And the first opportunity they got, these people ran back towards, tribe, towards tribes and a sense of belonging to each other. And that Western frame of mind of the individual that everybody's trying to escape from, it forms us and it shapes us and it affects the way that we see church. It affects the way that we see Jesus. It affects the way that we see the kingdom. How many Christians do you know that believe that they can follow Jesus on their own? Unplugged to a body. If you think of it just biologically, any part not connected to the head is either dead or an abomination. It doesn't do well. And so there's this whole constant ban. You're constantly being bombarded with it. I'm constantly being, and it, it, it frames us. It's the way that we think, and it's not the way that Jesus thinks, and it's not the way that Jesus built, and it's not the way that the Bible's written. But yet, it's the culture that we live in. And so the first thing, for the argument's sake, I want you to understand, this will never come naturally, and it doesn't come normally. And when you get hurt, because you will get hurt, members who got prayed in today, there'll come a day when Tony's going to have to step on your toes really painfully, and that's when it's going to be tested. Because he loves you. And there's going to be a day when the person next to you hurts you. I hurt those around me that I love, because I'm... I'm fallible, I'm sinful, I mess it up. That's the beauty of the body. That's the beauty of what Jesus called us to. He calls us to community. When he said, when he walked on the beach and he said, follow me, he didn't just mean me. He meant you had to join the group that was with him. Can't follow Jesus on your own. In the world today, there are parliaments, there are cabinets. I, I know of two I have two where whenever I give facts when I preach, I go and do hard homework because I hate it when a preacher quotes something and then I go check it on Google and the first Google search, it's wrong. I'm like, oh, bro. <laughs> so I make sure I Google all my information first. Just so you know. I'm not, I'm not this knowledgeable. I just know how to use Google really well. <laughs> but in the nations of the world, in cabinet and parliament, the two nations, Japan and Britain, where in cabinet they have appointed ministers to combat loneliness. These people have a full-time job where it is their job in cabinet and to come before parliament when it meets together to deal with loneliness because it's a pandemic. It's something that is literally causing more suicides, more deaths, more than ever before because that is the symptom of Western culture. It's the symptom of the individual is loneliness. 
And then so the world that we live in has come up with a cure for loneliness. And it's called tribalism. And that is a, we, we bond over mutual hatred or mutual dislike. Movements are formed, not about what we love or what we have in common, but rather what we hate together. Tribalism, they call the dark twin of community. Community is built around a common love for one another in Jesus. Tribalism is built around a common hatred and a cancel culture. And a culture that is willing to, we, we just look for the next target. That's all we do. If Psalm 68 verse 6 is right, and that, that scripture says that God takes the lonely and he puts them into family. What Western culture, what individualism does, is it takes the lonely and it puts them into tribes. That is why the church, that is why praying in members is such a big deal. Because if we can't pull it off together, if we can't give ourselves to one another, there's no family for Jesus to take the lonely and plug them into. Whenever you, you talk about evangelism, 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 if you haven't got something worth people being connected to back home, please don't evangelize. The most damaging thing is people who have no family, who have no belonging, and they go out preaching a gospel of repent, turn, be saved, give up your life. You must be saved. You're going to hell. Wah, 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 wah. Because do you know what? You cannot, you cannot live out the New Testament. You cannot live what we are called to do on your own. cannot do it. And so if you're not connected to family, please don't preach the gospel because a part of the good news is that you are a sinner. You are separated from Jesus. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. But he made a way. And not only did he made a way, he made a place. And that place is in his father's house. And he, he comes and he fetches you and he doesn't just save you and leave you. He takes you and he gives you a family. He gives you brothers and sisters and parents and, and a father. What was Jesus' great message? Jesus didn't preach the gospel that we preach. Our gospel is, the good. if you ask most Christians, most of us would say, the good news is that Jesus died on a cross for you so that you can be saved. Jesus' message, Jesus' gospel was this, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. Not far off. The, king, what is the, the kingdom is actually, it's this. It's people. It's where God's rule and reign is. And he started with 12. And he changed the face of the planet. That's why Jesus said to Peter, you're the rock, Peter. You. Not your gift. Not your ability. Not your skill. Not your charisma. Not your... You. And then he tied all the rest of them to him. And then there was some of them, and then more and more. And Peter's the one who got up at Pentecost, cut the people to the heart. And 3,000 of them were added to their number. Kingdom, Jesus preached the whole time, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is near. City Bowl PM, the tipping point, the kingdom is near. Is there a family ready for Jesus to plug people into? 
want to read uh, Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Not a funny little, that we, we often think fishers of men was like a funny joke. It's not a funny joke. It's Jesus is actually giving them an incredible opportunity. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. It's like a term for a great, a rabbi, somebody who could influence people. You will change the way people think. Follow me, and I will make you like me, is what Jesus is saying to them. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them, saying, he called to them too, saying, he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. I want us to see an emphasis is that Jesus didn't like because we like one or two people. Jesus starts by just, when he starts to call, he calls a crew. And they are nothing like each other. The same as us sitting here are nothing like each other. And that's why you can join a club where you have things in common. And as long as you have that thing in common, you belong. As soon as you don't have that in common anymore. So for example, new mother's group. It's for all those mothers with babies. But when your babies grow up, you don't belong anymore. You naturally leave. Singles group, and then you get married. You're out the singles group. Newlyweds group, and then you be married a while and you realize, oh, I don't want to be in that group. Jesus calls all these different people who are, and, and this is what Jesus has done with us and with you. He calls all these different people. He didn't want it, all the fishermen. He could have had a fisherman's conference in the Sea of Galilee and, and, and gone out and said, hey, Peter, go and get all the fishermen. Fishermen make the best fishers of people. So they know how to do it. They know the concept. They can do this thing. Let's go and get all the fishermen. No, no, no. He sees two guys and he calls them out. And he sees two brothers and he calls them. And he walks another way and we read he's going to find a tax collector. And then he's, he finds a doctor. And then he finds a zealot. Peter, when he finds him, he finds a terrorist. And not like we read of Peter, like, hey, cool. P Peter was a zealot. It meant his inside desires were to kill people. It's reflected in his character. What does he try and do when a Roman tries to lay a hand on Jesus? Do you know that the ear that he cut off, okay, if you look at the angle of the ear that was cut off, it wasn't like he, he just missed. It wasn't like he tried to cut an ear off. He tried to cut a head off. This is the type of guy that Jesus calls to build community on. The guy that is willing to kill. And Matthew, the tax collector. I love, I don't know if you guys have seen that series, um, Chosen. Yes, I love that series. He picks a Matthew. The ultimate salat. Betrayer. Matthew basically sold, he does his people in for a living. And he makes a lot of money doing it. Rome told him to charge X amount and he charges over and above that and people have no, there's nothing they can do about it. 
And Jesus takes these two, the one, the Roman salat, and the other who wants to kill Romans. Can you imagine who the worst of the worst of enemies would be? Can you imagine how, for example, every family, every time Jesus called the group together, I don't think Peter and Matthew were like, hey, yeah, yeah, come, let's stand together. Cool, yeah. I think Peter wanted to kill him. I think Peter thought Jesus was crazy for calling him. And I think Matthew thought Jesus was crazy for calling Peter. Can you imagine under their breath how they would have referred to each other all the time? I like it like Michael did tonight. He wrote a funny name and we, we all have nicknames for each other. I guarantee you Peter and Matthew's nicknames for each other initially weren't great. <laughs> Matthew would probably whisper to the others, oh look, there's murderer. <laughs> Terrorist. Pre-ISIS. Peter probably was like, Peter probably loved Judas compared to Matthew. Because Matthew, he was like, look at him, he's a betrayer. Betrayed his own family. Doesn't even love his mother. These are the people that Jesus says, I want to build a community out of you. I want to make, I want to make your family. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get there. Do you know that um, those two examples, I've got a few more Matthew scriptures I'm not going to use, but what happens is people, Jesus calls fishermen, he calls tax collectors, he calls people, and then there are even those who come to try and follow him. Um, I'm going to actually look at that one. I'll leave it. And others come to him and they want to know, we want to follow you. What do we have to do? And actually Jesus, do you know that he never turned people, ba he never turned people based on character? He, he took in some shady characters. He didn't call people based on gifting. He didn't call people based on their prestige or who they were or what they could do. The only reason he turned people away was commitment. I want to follow you. Okay. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. I've nowhere to go. Nowhere to sleep at night. I'm not so sure about that. I want to follow you, but let me first sort out my family's stuff. Like, my dad, you don't understand. My dad's a really successful businessman. And I'm the oldest, which means in, in my family, when he dies, everything comes to me. And Jesus, can you imagine what we could do with the, for the kingdom if I got all of that inheritance? Like, so let me, you know, let me bury my father. Let me handle my family issues first. Let me sort that stuff out. And Jesus is like, no. No. This, this, you're coming into a family. It's not hard to commit to Jesus. He's, he's never going to hurt you. He's never going to betray you. He's never going to backstab you. He's never going to let you down. But the other followers that he's calling with them will. And if you lack commitment, you're not going to see it out. And so because those can't commit to following it's based on their commitment to him because he knows they won't be able to commit to each other. And this bridge is going to be way more difficult than this bridge. Who finds it difficult to love Jesus? I don't. It's very easy to love someone who's always got your best interest. Who always, he's consistently good and he's... But the other people on the WhatsApp group? <laughs> Different story. So 
So Jesus calls these crazy bunch. And tonight, as a family, as membership operating. And membership, I want to just highlight why it's such a big deal. Because it's commitment. And commitment was a big deal to Jesus. I remember the first Sunday day meeting I was in. Tony, it was his last service. He prayed in new members into Sunningdale, and I loved it that day, the way he did it. It's like this, like wedding vows. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what it's like. It's commitment. It's the thing that Jesus looks for in followers, commitment. Character, he'll work on you. He loves you. He won't leave you the same as he finds you. Gifting, he's got all the gifts. He'll give you all the gifts. You don't need gifts. He's the giver. There's even this example in Matthew 20. Um, I am, it's in the Bible, I promise. You can go and check it. I googled it. <laughs> Matthew 20, 20 is a, an example of this, in, in this little rivalry. And read it for yourself. I'm going to just give you the, the high-level view. It's basically, the disciples all have this preconceived idea that Jesus is the Messiah, which means he's coming to get rid of Rome. It's got nothing to do with He's coming to bring the new kingdom. Every time he said the kingdom is near, they were thinking literal. They were seeing dollar bills. When the disciples were getting called closer to the Messiah, all they saw was ministers of cabinet. They were thinking like the National Congress do at times. If my mate gets in, what does that mean for me? Get closer. That's how politics works. It's all about who you know and how close you can go. That's what the that was in their hearts. Guys are like, no, if you're ambitious, we don't want you to join the church because you're going, you know, you're going to strive for things. And you go, let me tell you, every disciple was ambitious. They all wanted something out of Jesus. That's why they followed him. But he dealt with their hearts. You come to Jesus with your ambition, he'll deal with your heart, and he's the best one to do it because he loves you, he cares for you. He's kind to you. He's kind to me. So this crew have got these ambition, and it's, it's, it's highlighted best in the story of Matthew 20, 20, because basically James and John really want to get close. And, and Jesus has kind of shown them a little bit of favoritism, but they're a bit nervous, and they've seen how Jesus kind of rebukes Peter all the time, because Peter's like, you know that one in the class, he always asks the question, like, hey, ma'am? You forgot to give us homework. Everyone's like, ah, oh, bro. He's that guy. And so they all learn by his mistakes. And then James and John decide, actually, you know what? Jesus is very, like, let's send mom. Let's ask mom to. And so their mother, yes, the great ploy to be at Jesus' right and at his left, they send their mother Probably with some home-cooked meal of sorts, <laughs> if I know mothers. And she comes and she's like, Jesus, you know, can't you, don't you have a place for my boys? And I, I can imagine Jesus just sees right through this thing. And James and John are probably at the back like, and, and, how's it going? Can you imagine when Peter finds out? Like, bro, you sent your mom. Like, you didn't even go yourself, you sent your mom. And so there's all these different ambitions and agendas and ideas. And, and sometimes, as a family, I want to encourage you, that it's not your job to sort that out before people 
get plugged into family. Jesus sorts us out as we get plugged into. It's our job to bring people in. And the, the, the criteria is will you commit? Will you commit to him? Will you commit to family? Will you commit to being here? Hebrews 10, it's like, don't neglect getting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Why? Because Jesus wants you at your absolute best, and your best is when you're tied to this. You know, your best plan for the beautiful future that Jesus has for you is this family. And without you, we will never accomplish the dream that God has for us. And without us, you will never accomplish the dream that God has for you. It's that simple. To live, in the to live in community and in the kingdom of God is to live by a different set of standards to the world that we know. I'm going to skip. The end goal of community is for us to grow up into maturity and we realize that through serving and loving one another. I've noticed this. The older people get that belong to the family. You can see. Because those who've matured in the household, you always hear the stories of how they served and how they give and how they... Uh, we had a lady in our congregation who passed away this week and her memorial was on Saturday. And the stories that came out at this memorial that we've just been hearing about, how this lady just... She drove people to come every week. And when, and when she left that come, she still gave those people lifts to come every week. It was like... As she matured, she realized that in loving and serving others, that's how she fulfills her calling in Jesus. How do I help you get on your journey? Because as you go on your journey, I go on my journey. We win together. We lose together. But we win together. You see, one of the, coming back to our, our Western problem, is that then what we've now done in a, in a in a modern context, if we've, we've taken this beautiful thing called community and it's made up of personal connection and the world has got this terrible, artificial, synthetic called connectivity. And we try to replace genuine connection and community with connectivity, which means you have a social media page with a thousand people who follow you. And you've got, you know what's going on in everybody's life because it's on their posts or their WhatsApp status or their Instagram posts or their Facebook. Forgive me if I'm sending a little out of date because I de-social media. I'm one of those dudes. I got TikTok. Your TikTok, your, it's, and it's not Insta, it's the gram. It's the gram. And the bottom line is, we get this, now we have this thing called connectivity, which means I have no idea how Tony's going, and so I don't ask him, but every now and then I see a picture of his dog. <laughs> and it kind of gives me this little feeling like, if somebody said to me, hey Dan, do you know Tony? Yeah, I know Tony. Yeah, Tony, how are we that? I know about his dog. <laughs> or like Ryan posts epic pictures when I was on the gram. Ryan's always got like super epic pictures. And then I'm like, I'm a part of his life. You know, I was there with him. We saw that thing together when he took that epic photo of that sunset or surfboard. Or... So we've got connectivity. And the problem is that easily falls in the place of community. 
and connectivity is easier because there's no need for commitment to it. It's as simple as, oh, wow, Ryan, hope you had an epic time. Heart. Tony's like, oh, my favorite, not a prophetic thing, my dog that I posted about just died. Oh, sad face. Praying for you. Emoji. <laughs> and do you know what? That does nothing for him. And it does nothing for me. And it's synthetic and it's fake and it's fooled both of us into thinking we have a connection. And all that happens is I get lonelier and lonelier. And Tony, who's going through hardship and getting praying emojis and praying for you on the WhatsApp group where nobody actually prays, we just post it. Almost like that's a prayer in itself. It's like, hey guys, need some help. This and this happened. Bad situation. And everybody's like praying for you. You're in my prayers, praying, praying hands, emoji, love you. But nobody actually does any. Nobody actually says, Tony, how are you? A real, a real connection. And the problem is then we get this world where we've got introverts and extroverts. And the introverts are always burnt out and can never be in social environments because they're never alone. Because when they're on the toilet... They have the opinions of a thousand people in front of them and likes and dislikes and comments. And, and then when they go to bed at night, it's surrounded by people and what's going on social. And, uh, and we have extroverts who can't get enough of the stuff because it's not real. And so they're perpetually on it all the time, but it does nothing for me and it leaves me feeling empty. And so I've got to do more. And, and it's just synthetic and fake. And so what happens in the church is you get guys who are like, I am an introvert by nature and I'm, I, I, I can't make calm this week because I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm peopled out. I can't do this anymore. In the meantime, you haven't seen anyone. And the reality is, and it's not even like it's your, you, you write, you haven't, but you've also consistently been bombarded with opinions and, and um, perspectives and and so the introverts can't disconnect. You see, community and connection is designed that the introvert, there's a bit of a struggle for me to come up and be like, Ryan, it's so good to see you, Yarpy. <laughs> and then when we leave, I'm okay. Because I get to go home and be alone. I don't have to worry that Yarpy <laughs> sees the fact that I don't surf as well as him. And like, I'm okay now. And then I can get enough, and then I recharge every day, and then I've got energy to come out again. But the problem is when I chat to Yarpi at church on Sunday, and then I come home, he comes home with me. There's this fake connection which, which exhausts and depletes community, because community is a beautiful thing, and we're supposed to crave it and desire it and need it. And so being together shouldn't be difficult, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Being together is what's good for us and it brings out the best in us. It's the synthetic stuff that will burn you out and exhaust you because Jesus hasn't given you the grace for a thousand followers. He had 12. He had 12 real connections. That's what he left behind. Yet we try and keep up appearances with thousands. 
Okay, maybe you're not an influencer. Maybe 150. See, these two groups, all of us, when you have connectivity with no community and no connection, you can come to church every Sunday and go to come every Wednesday and be desperately lonely. You know, the connection comes from you. Loneliness is the, one of the biggest, like I said earlier, literally, ministers are being appointed in cabinets because of loneliness. I can stand here and say, guys, I, I want to tell you this as a statistic. At least 40% of us are struggling with loneliness in some degree in this room. There's an element of you that doesn't feel seen or heard or alone in your difficulty. What Tony was saying, your circumstance, your hardship, your, your financial situation, your relational situation. Your, you feel alone in that thing. I'm saying the solution is not that your circumstance gets fixed. The solution is that you find connection in your difficult circumstance. Jesus would say, in this life, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. I want to read that Hebrew scripture, Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. And let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is the context. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Community's got this element of not just, hey guys, please make sure you're at church on a Sunday so that we fill the seats. It's like, guys, when you come as family, when you get together on Sunday, can you look for ways to motivate one another, to love one another, to encourage one another? Your meetings have purpose. And the purpose is not for you to be entertained. The purpose is for what you bring to the party. And that's why Jesus called you, because there's something inside of you that he wants in the family. I want to read this scripture, and then we are coming into land at Oatamba, which is a quicker landing than Cape Town. This is what Jesus says to him in John 13. It's just after the... It's just after the Last Supper. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. They're about to face their biggest test to date. Three years of Jesus pouring in everything. He's going to lose one. And one is going to fall away, but come back. That's Jesus. And so can you imagine, if you, if you know it's your last moment with these 12 before they're about to face the test. Jesus knew he was going to rise again, but would they be there when he rose again? Was the big, he knew what was going to happen, but that was the test for them. 
their children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So I'm going to go, and it's not me that you need to look to. So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Jesus is literally doing this in his final moments after the last stuff. He's saying, I'm going to go. You're going to fall apart. Don't look for me. Look next to you. Look here. When you fall apart, love one another. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. And can you imagine this? The day that Jesus called them, what did he say? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, come and be my disciples. That's how they started the journey. They wanted to be called his disciples. And on the last night before they faced their biggest test, he says to them, love one another and your love one for another, terrorist and betrayer. If you two can love each other, if you two can work through this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That will be the mark for the world to know that you are mine is the fact that you guys can pull this off. The fact that you guys can love each other. I want to challenge us with this tonight. I, I hope I've made you, my goal is that you would have been made aware of some of the reasons and hopefully understand that some of the things that face you consistently are the reasons why you feel lonely, why you feel is because your culture and your, your, your social medias and your, your influence is always going to bend you towards being alone and isolated. It's always going to tell you that that's what you need in your life. And then there's this other side of you that is, going to, is desperate for connection. And, and don't replace it with connectivity. But actually, there is something that Jesus has called us all to, which is way better than all of this. And it's a call to community. It's a call like the disciples to. And how do you know you're a disciple of Jesus? Well, the, the gauge is, how much do you love the person sitting next to you? Because that's how he said you prove your discipleship. Not by what you can preach or do or say or give anyone. It's how much do you love one another and the family that he's put you into. Now pray for us.